Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. All right, if you have your Bibles, would you join me in the book of Philippians in chapter 2? Philippians in chapter 2. Beginning in verse 14 through 18 will be our text today. Will you just stop your complaining? Just stop it. Stop that complaining. Have you ever heard your mother say those words? Oh my goodness, if I had a nickel for every time my mother said those words to me, uh, I'd be able to match those funds that we've been talking about earlier. I've heard it so many times I've lost count. And now I'm joining in on the chorus. It's a fad that I've gotten into to echoing back to my children. Will you just stop your complaining? We've even gotten creative with it. Someone get the ambulance. Hurry. Somebody call 911. Would you like some cheese with that wine? Have you heard that? Or my favorite one, let's go to McDonald's and get you a Whamburger with some French cried. Complaining is just a part of the very fabric of who we are. And if we're not careful, it will unravel us. It requires no creativity, no problem solving, and little to no effort. All it requires is the lowest echelon of brain function and a willing mouth. It adds nothing to a crisis or to a challenge. In fact, it only serves to make it worse. Hearing somebody complain or giving in to the temptation of complaining and grumbling and disputing, it adds nothing. It only makes every situation worse. And yet here we are, tale is old as time. Adam, in the garden, Underneath the very judgment of God, shifts blame and complains, Well, God, it was the woman that you gave me that insisted that I eat this fruit. And then later on, the Israelites, having been freed from the Egyptian slavery on their way to the promised land, having witnessed the miracles of their Redeemer God, complained their entire way on the way to the promised land. And then once they got there, what do you bet happened? Yep, you'd be right. They continued that pompous pity party their entire time in the promised land. From the church at Philippi all the way here, the First Baptist Church of West Memphis, Arkansas, and churches around the world, complaining and grumbling and disputing has always been a problem, a problem that faces us all. So what does the Holy Spirit, through Paul, command his church regarding complaining? Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that ye may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering 
upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I pray that today as we study your word, that you arrest that thief that has so often been the great stealer of our joy, complaining and grumbling and disputing. I pray that today you would render that criminal unable in our lives. And I pray that we as believers would submit to your word and that we would be men and women, boys and girls who do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. You notice in our text today, the command is very straightforward and simple. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things. There are no exemption clauses uh, mentioned here, no fine print at the bottom of your Bible that will say, but in the case of a really, really bad uh, uh, time in traffic, grumbling and complaining is just fine. You won't find that written in there. Very straightforward, this command. And, and Paul uses two words here to tell us what not to do in all things. He says, in all things, you're to do all things without grumbling. That is the under our breath murmuring. Have you heard that before? You say something and, uh, and the room just begins to grumble. Now, I've never felt that here amongst this fine assembly who is here today. Uh, but that, that word in the Greek is uh, poetic. It's onomatopoetic. And so the word in the Greek is actually what it sounds like to hear a low rumble across uh, a, a room of or a, 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 an audience of dissatisfied people. And here Paul says that we are to not be those who murmur and complain and grumble. He also uses the word disputing. No disputing that is selfish and prideful debating specifically with God, I think, here. It's an echoing uh, with the serpent, did God really say? It's the same tactic that the Jewish leaders used around Jesus' time when they justified their lust instead of adultery. When Jesus told them, no, 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 it's not just the physical act that is adultery, but I say to you, if a man looks upon a woman with lust in his, in his heart, he has committed adultery. It's trying to get fine print. It's trying to sneak around what, what God has said. It's disputing with him. And, and we find that here in this context, there's a reference to which this command is given. Paul is saying, don't complain about the adversity of being a believer. Remember the verses we looked at last week? We are to, uh, uh, each and every day of our lives, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So the very specific idea that Paul is thinking of when he writes this passage is, don't complain about the light yoke that God has laid upon your life. Don't murmur, don't complain, don't dispute, don't do those things because we know that his burden is easy and his yoke is like, don't complain about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But in a very broad sense, what Paul is saying here, and I think is very true, is that 
our lives should not be, as believers, our lives should not be defined by an attitude of murmuring and complaining and grumbling and disputing. Now, if it were up to me, I suppose I would address this much like Bob Newhart's character when he was the counselor or the psychiatrist that only charged $5 uh, for five minutes, and I guarantee you our counseling session will be over in five minutes. Just stop it. That was his words of wisdom. Just stop it. But Paul here gives us motivation for why we should not be grumbling and complaining. If you're taking notes, number one, stop grumbling and complaining for the sake of your own holiness. Look with me in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. You know, I like how the New American Standard translates this verse. The New American Standard translates verse 15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. The structure of this sentence in the Greek indicates that this is a purpose clause. In other words, we are to stop our complaining and disputing so that we may grow up to be the kind of children that makes God happy. That makes God happy. Now, I have a good mom and dad. I I think that I I don't know exactly how it's all going to play out, but when I get to heaven, I hope one of the first things that I'm going to be able to say to the Lord is, Thank you so much for my mom and dad. I mean, I thank my, my God for my wife each and every day. I got a choice in picking her out. I didn't get a choice in picking out my parents. And how blessed I am to have a mom and dad that love the Lord and serve the Lord. And you know what? 37 years from that, uh, 37 years now from that time that I was brought into this world, I still want to make my mom and daddy happy. I do. I want them to be proud of me to think good things of me, to to know that their investment in my life was worth it. And what Paul is saying here is grumbling and complaining and disputing gets in the way of your personal holiness. You want to rob the joy in your life? You want to rob the holiness that is in your life? Be a person that is defined by grumbling and by complaining. He says here, we should grow to be the type of children that God desires for us to be. What do those children look like? He says here, number one, blameless. That you may be blameless. That is, without defect or without blemish. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and verse 13, Paul says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless. My dear friends, we have not earned our salvation. Someone give me an amen. We have not earned our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation. It has been a free gift from God poured out upon us lavishly by his grace and by his love that we have received by faith. There is nothing that we have done to deserve being saved from that very real place called hell, from being saved from ourselves. There's nothing that we have deserved to earn the free gift that he has given us. There's nothing that we can do to keep the salvation that he has given to us. But if we want to be children that God has called us to be, 
We ought to orchestrate our lives. Our words, our actions ought to be blameless. That is, our lives ought to reflect Jesus. We ought to be without defect or without blemish. The Bible says that we are to be holy as he is holy. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 1, Blessed are those whose weight is blameless. If you want to throw a wrench in your blamelessness, complain, grumble. Uh, not only will that throw a wrench uh, for everybody who is around you, but it'll throw a wrench in your own personal walk with the Lord. We should not be those who grumble and who complain and those who dispute. We are to be blameless. And if we are to be blameless, we got to stop our grumbling and our complaining. But the next thing that he says is not only should we be blameless, but we should be innocent, that is, unmixed. That is, we are to be pure. That is, we're not to, to have a little bit of the world in our life and a little bit of Jesus. 50-50, right? We, we'll, we'll live for Jesus on Sunday morning from 10.45 a.m. until noon. But if the preacher goes beyond that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to that other percentage, right? And I'm going to be mixed. I'm going to have evil, uh, uh, wicked thoughts in my heart. I'm going to entertain those things. The Bible here says that, that grumbling and complaining and disputing gets in the middle of our innocence, of our purity. Don't you long to be pure? Oh, that's a good place to amen. Everyone in here knows you're impure, right? You you know that we've sinned and we've all fallen short. Don't you long for that purity? Don't you long for that day where we're in his presence and the sin is gone and we're just enjoying him forever and ever? So you long for that purity. You know one thing that gets in the way of that? Grumbling and complaining and disputing. As believers, we have a strong motivation to not do all those things, but with everything in our lives, to do it with a good attitude, because we understand that God works out all things for his glory in our good. Don't you understand? God has ordained and allowed every inconvenience in your life for your good and for his glory. Do you understand that, church? Do you understand that? If you understand that, we'll help you in your grumbling and complaining and decease that, knowing that God is on his throne and he is taking care of you even throughout your difficulties in life. Well, if you want to stop complaining, do it for the sake of your own holiness. But secondly, do it for the sake of your own witness. Do it for the sake of your own witness. Look with me again in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How many of you here today know that we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? We live in the midst of a crooked and a twisted world, a wicked world. Every single thing is warped. Right is wrong, wrong is right, up is down, down is up, good is bad, bad is good. It hardly seems like a, the good creation that God created it to be. 
you hardly need me to give you examples because it lies before you so evidently every day. And with each and every passing news cycle, you see a new brand of depravity and wickedness which you would have never expected even the day before. It's sad to say that we've lost our surprise at the creativity of wickedness. We live in a wicked, cruel world. So much so that even what the Bible has proclaimed as love, the world proclaims as hatred. For me to proclaim the truth, the Scripture says, that is love. For me to proclaim the truth, the world says, is hateful and mean and unkind. Yet we are to understand we live in a crooked world. Don't be surprised, my friends, when your co-workers want to do evil and wicked things and you find that that desire may be in you, but you have the Holy Spirit in you who convicts you of those things. Don't be surprised when they act the way that they do. Don't be surprised when uh, those people that you have elected into office to go and to represent you and to do the best for you, don't be surprised when they do crooked and wicked things. Why? Why? We live in a crooked and in a twisted generation. It was true of Paul's day. It's true of our day. Jesus says in John 15 and verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. How crooked and wicked and twisted is the world? If you decide by God's providence, by His grace in your life, if you decide to live your life for Him, the world will hate you. How about that? They don't just hate Him, they hate you for acting like Him. In 1 John chapter 5, in verse 19, the Scripture says, We know that we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. My friends, we live in evil times. Paul understood that. We understand that. But we are to look different from them. And Paul says here that among the many things that get in the way of our witness to the world, some of them is our tendency to give in to the flesh and to grumble and to complain. Now, I know some of you, you've not been here uh, perhaps, and you're saying, man, Josh has got some people complaining throughout the week, and he's coming down hard. Now, listen, uh, we don't have a whole lot of complaining here, and uh, when there is complaining, uh, uh, I plead the fifth and move on, okay? That's not what this is about. We're just simply happen to be in this passage. But our tendency to grumble and to complain gets in the way of our witness to the world. You see, the world is wicked and crooked, and dark. But Paul says, among them, you shine as lights in the world. That's who we are. That's what we've been reborn to do. If you're here today and you've repented of your sins and you've called upon Jesus as Savior and Lord, that means you're born again. If you are born again, you and I were reborn so that we might be lights to this dark and 
wicked and crooked and twisted generation. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 14 through 16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. My friends, are you being a shining light to the dark world that is around you? Or have you adapted their darkness to suit your own betterment amongst them? Have you dimmed the light in your own life so that you might feel more at home amongst them? One way to surely do that is by grumbling and disputing and complaining. And if you grumble and complain and dispute, it's going to get in the way of your witness to the world. So let me ask you a question. Is your grumbling and complaining worth the soul of your neighbor next to you? Is your grumbling and complaining worth your witness to the world? Whose life are you willing to cast headlong into hell because you would rather complain? because you would rather grumble, because you would rather sit there even right now thinking about things that you would rather complain about than be a witness to the world. Grumbling and complaining and disputing will get in the midst of that. It's no wonder the world would look to the church and they see a bunch of people who sit like this. I don't like that song. I don't like the way they did that. I don't like that preacher. He's not wearing a tie. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like the color of the bricks. I've counted all of them since this preacher started preaching, and I don't like that there's only 2,347 bricks that are on this thing. I would rather it be an even number. We complain all the time. We complain about useless things. We complain about things. Now, I'm preparing this message this week, and I'm in a hurry. I got to uh, take my daughter home uh, for something and then hurry up and get back to the church for something. <laughs> That's the vaguest way I could have said that last statement, something a thousand times. But I'm on my way home, and I'm running late, and I get stopped by, yeah. And I said, well, how about that? And I'm getting ready to complain. And listen, I've lived here long enough where I got a bunch of go-to complaints when it comes to that. Thank you, Lord, train. That blessed, blessed, long black train. I'm sitting in there, and I'm getting ready to complain, and the Lord just kind of laid on my heart. Hey, aren't you preaching on that this week? Grumbling and complaining come under conviction because it's pretty easy for us to grumble and complain. And you know what? If I lost my temper out there, probably someone next to me, almost, I mean, almost certainly I'd be sitting next to someone who knew me and knew I was the pastor at First Baptist Church of West Memphis, and they'd see me acting a fool there in front of the railroad track. And you know what? That would have fit my witness to them. Is it worth it? Now, is it worth it? Is it really worth your witness? It's not. 
Now, I speak to you as a fallen man. So when I tell you not to grumble and complain, what I'm saying is we should not grumble and complain because it affects our witness. But lastly, I want you to see here in the next few verses, in verses 16 and following, stop complaining for the legacy of the faith. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and re rejoice with me. We're to stop our grumbling and our complaining, not only for our personal holiness and our witness, but for the legacy of the faith. For all those who have gone on before us and invested in us and have invested their time and their resources, Paul here is saying, Listen, when I stand before the Lord one of these days, I want him to look at you, and I want to be proud on that day. I don't want to say that I labored in vain, but I did all of that hard work, and that here you are, still complaining, still grumbling, still fighting against the sanctification that God is pouring into your life. I don't want this race to be in vain. Now, next February, our church will ce celebrate our 100th anniversary. I've been here for only 13 short years of that 100-year trek, and I'm so thankful for the time that I've been here, but I've got to learn just a little bit about the history of our church, of this fellowship, how in February, on February the 17th of 1924, a group of 11 people met at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Harry Cash in Colbert, Arkansas, to talk about the founding of First Baptist Church that would be later known as First Baptist Church of West Memphis. And I've heard the names that you have heard and so many of you have lived with. The names of Brother Abington, Dr. Henson, not to mention all the, the uncounted numbers of men and women who underneath the radar served and sacrificed. Don't you have a desire to say that was worth something. Their sacrifice into this fellowship, into us. I think about, I think about my, my family, my mother and my father, growing up in a, a pretty poor household in Caraway, Arkansas. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, and many times she said she'd put the groceries on layaway. I don't know if she's just saying that. She doesn't really exaggerate. That's my dad's job. He exaggerates more than she does. But I think about all that they invested. I think about my mom going back to school when I was a teenager to get her bachelor's degree so that she could be a teacher because she wanted to fulfill her promise to her dad that she would get a degree. I remember going to bed at nighttime and my mom sitting around that dining room table doing homework. And sure enough, when I'd wake up in the morning, she'd have been up before I was, and there she was at that table doing that homework again. I think of all that sacrifice that my parents placed for my benefit. And doesn't it make me want to be a better child and a better citizen? Paul is saying here, after all that I've poured into you, don't let it be in vain. Church, 
for for a hundred years here, we've had people pour into us. For thousands of years in the church, we've had people pour into what would be the fellowship of the church today for millennia throughout all of creation, those who've gone on before us. Doesn't it make you want to live up to it? They didn't have, so uh, people in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they didn't have the blessing that we have here today. Like all of God's word written down, all in the same place, various translations so that we can understand it, various commentators who have written on it and put it in, in study Bibles so that we can better understand it. All of that they didn't have, but all that they did so that we could be here today. Doesn't it make you want to live a, a, a more holy and, and perfect life? Doesn't it make you want to live for Jesus? Paul says there for the legacy of the faith. I don't want to have to run in vain all that I poured into you. I want you to be holding fast to the word. Do not be giving up on the word. We we hold fast to the word because it is God's word, primarily. But we also hold fast to the word and to the gospel because of those who've gone on before us and who have carried the banner amidst difficult times and we don't give up. And Paul says, not only that, but I'm setting the example. Look in verse 17. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now remember, Paul is writing this letter while being chained to a Roman guard. He is in Rome. He has been beat so many times, uh, uh, it's hard to keep count. He's been beat up and left for dead. He's been stoned. Uh, uh, he's had to climb outside of, of, of windows out of city walls and be let down. Here is a man who is a wanted man. He is in prison. He is chained up to a Roman guard. And is he complaining? No. He's saying even, he goes, I think, he said already in the book of Philippians, I think I'm going to be released, okay? And I'm going to go out and proclaim the gospel even more. But he says here, even if that doesn't happen, and even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial offering of your faith, I rejoice. You know how to kill your rejoicing? Complaining and grumbling. Think about those Israelites walking to the promised land, all that they saw, all that they experienced, and they missed out on so much of the joy. Why? grumbling, complaining. They lost sight. Paul says, I, I'm setting the example for you. I'm ready to die for you, and I count that as joy. I rejoice in it. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. But Paul says, not only imitate me, which you'll say in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Christ was the, the perfect one. In every respect, but Jesus never grumbled and complained. And had there been anyone who was justified in their grumbling and complaining, it would have been him. How would that have changed the cross? Jesus hanging on the cross, mumbling and grumbling. I can't believe I'm doing this for Josh or for Tom or for Charlie. I can't believe I'm going through all of this and they won't even love me. They won't even serve me. They won't even be next to me. They won't even be close to me. I wasn't Jesus. But the Bible has already told us that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, 
on our behalf. If you want to look at example, we can see Paul's life, but we can see it in Jesus, pushed to the very limit that all of humanity could be pushed to, and yet he was perfect without blemish and holy. Paul says, keep living, keep uh, uh, away from grumbling and complaining for the legacy of the faith. Now, here's where it all wraps up. Paul's talking about your walk with Jesus primarily. You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you know what? I've found in the short amount of years that I've got to follow Jesus, that there's a lot of things that we're not supposed to do. You know, it, it was pronounced as a teenager in high school when you saw everyone else doing the things that, that you, you went, you know what, I can't do that because I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to say those words. I'm not going to do those things, go to those places. And as you get older, you find the temptations just seem to grow in your life. And you got to say, you know what, even though the world is okay with these things, I'm not going to do it because I'm following Jesus. I love Jesus. The temptation there is to complain and to say, you know what, it's really difficult to be a Christian. But when you look at the end result of things, it puts it into perspective. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man but the end result is death. Perhaps you're here today and you've been living for yourself. Josh, I got nothing to complain about. I'm happy and I do whatever makes me happy. Can I say to you today, the scripture says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end result is death. If you will repent of your sins and call upon Jesus as Lord, the Bible says that our end result is not death, but if any man believeth in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So you got to ask, what's there to grumble and complain about anyway? Look at Jesus, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Don't let grumbling and complaining take away from your personal holiness. Don't let grumbling and complaining and disputing take away from your public witness. And then lastly, don't let grumbling and complaining make all of those who run for us, run before us, be in vain for the legacy of the faith. I don't know how God has spoken to your heart today, but if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I want to encourage you to come and speak to me during these next few moments, a time we call an invitation or a time of response. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, would you come and speak to me or another counselor, and we can show you the life and the happiness and the joy that can be found in Jesus. Perhaps you're here today and you want to join this church or make any other decision. I want to encourage you today to be faithful to do what God lays upon your heart. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.